Good evening, and welcome to Monergy Life. <clears throat> this is Robert Fisher, your host, and it's my great pleasure to welcome Nancy Salamone to my show tonight. Nancy should be calling in any minute. Nancy is a survivor of domestic abuse herself and has founded various organizations to help other women in a similar situation to regain control over their life, to attain economic self-sufficiency, and to restart their life. The statistics are really staggering when it comes to uh, the battering of women in our society. Uh, it's estimated that about 3 to 4 million women are victims of battery every year in the United States. What is perhaps most shocking about that is that 85% of the women who leave these relationships end up returning. And unfortunately, it very often takes seven or eight times before they leave the relationship. And many women attribute the fact that they return to these abusive relationships to the economic issue and the basically the issue of economic control and the lack of economic self-sufficiency of, of the women. We bring Nancy on the air right now. Nancy, is that you? That's me. Hello. Hi. How are you tonight? I'm great. How are you? I'm also great. Welcome to Monergy Life. Thank you so much for inviting me, Robert. It's absolutely my pleasure. I was just giving the audience a brief introduction as to what you do, who you are, and some of the really amazing statistics that are associated with domestic abuse in this country. Uh, I was talking about how approximately 3 to 4 million women are battered every year in the U.S., and that approximately 85% of these women who leave return to the abusive relationship. And, and I have to share with you that those are the numbers we know about. And domestic violence is one of the most underreported crimes in this country. So even though those statistics are staggering, they're probably way higher. No kidding. No kidding. That they're is, probably that, way higher because of the underreporting. Uh, is it uh, based on the fear fact, the fear of retribution? You're absolutely correct on that. Even when when I was in my relationship, I never called the police because I lived more in fear of what he would do when he got out. That right. I feared, as you said, that retribution. What would that be like? <clears throat> and in general, how would you describe the the attitude of most police to to calls for for help in a domestic abuse situation? What's the common scenario if there is such a common scenario? I, I have to say that honestly, if a crime is being perpetrated the police should be called. I do believe that. In New York City, where I was living at the time, the police, after I left my ex-husband, there was an opportunity for me to call the police where I felt safe that he wouldn't find me. Mm -hmm. I found a lot of support in New York City. 
The New York, they, in fact, the precinct I went to had someone there who was dedicated to domestic violence issues. Wow. So my That's experience in New York City was very positive. Right. That's probably not the case in other parts of the country, though. Uh, from what I read, it you know, the answer to that is it all depends. It right. depends on what city, where you are. Uh, how large a town is, how small a town is. But there are a lot of efforts nationally that go down to the local areas to train police officers and others on domestic violence and how to react to a domestic violence situation. So I believe the word is getting out, and there are a lot of police officers who are being trained in different ways about it so that they can be of a great deal of help now. Well, that's definitely encouraging news. Now, if you could tell our listeners, how long did you yourself stay in this abusive relationship? I was married for 20 years, and the abuse began literally the night we, we returned from our honeymoon. That is, when we were dating, he was always verbally, emotionally abusive. But when we got home that night from our honeymoon, that is when the physical abuse began. And it lasted for 20 years of my marriage. Wow. That's a really long time. And during that time, did did you and your ex-husband go for counseling or talk about it? Was that ever a possibility? Never. Never. I was born into a, you know, I'm a kid from the Bronx, Roman Catholic Sicilian family. I was, you know, my mother was one of ten kids. I had lots of aunts, uncles, and cousins. And quite honestly, yelling and screaming was a way of life. So when I met someone who was, you know, a yeller and a screamer, to me that was normal. I see. And when I met him, you know, he was, you know, literally tall, dark, and handsome, uh, older than I was, and... I became infatuated. And it in my book I explore what made me stay and a lot of it had to do with the way I was raised and my religious background along with the Sicilian heritage played a huge part in informing my decision making at that so, time. So uh, cultural expectations from your from your background. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's interesting that when the book was published, many women have come up to me and have said to me, you know, your story could be my story. Because they may be of different cultures, but but the strong cultural ties do play a part in a certain amount of decision-making in one's life. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I find even with myself and the people that I know, undoing the negative parts of one's conditioning could be a lifetime endeavor. But it's definitely worth the effort because that's when you could really get to your own core, free from the things that are really keeping you down. But I really think that everybody has certain things in their upbringing that are problematic. You know, it's it's. It's changing a paradigm. You know, there are things that we react to in our daily life that we don't even think about. It's just normal. 
But it's until, as you said, we begin to explore why we do what we do that we realize that some of the paradigms we were brought up in don't serve our good. Right. And we have to go about changing that. It's and that is honestly a very so difficult pa- process, yeah. Absolutely. But I really do believe that everybody in their own fashion um, goes about it, some more consciously than others. You know, I'll, can I share with you a, 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 actually a funny little story? Absolutely. Uh, with my when I was in I was diagnosed with post traumatic stress syndrome after I'd left my ex husband and I found a wonderful therapist in New York City and I was going to her for the first two years it was what I called emergency therapy because he was he was literally stalking and harassing me and, and threatening to kill me and, and some of my coworkers. But oh my God. once that was over, I walked into my therapist's office and I said to her, I said I need to know why I did what I did so that I never do it again. And she said, Nancy, fasten your seatbelt. It's going to be a rocky ride. <laughs> and she was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Nancy, I think that that your – by the way, your book is called Victory Over Violence for our listeners um, by Nancy Salomon. Uh, you know, um, and when was it published, Nancy? The book was published about uh, two years ago, and it's available okay. on Amazon. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that everybody has horror stories about some parts of their upbringing. And, it's, and mm-hmm. I think that, that what you're doing, not only from your own life experience, but helping other people in similar situations mm-hmm. is, is so inspiring to us all and is really the very definition of abundance, of creating abundance for other people. Because from my point of view, Emotional health should be the number one priority of every living creature on this planet. Mm. Yes, and you know, I tend to believe. I mean, for years I lived a completely unaware life. It wasn't until that moment in time when I left my marriage, and I did two things the week I left. I found an attorney and a therapist. And right. once I got those two people in my life, I knew there was no turning back. Quite honestly, I was scared to death. I was never so frightened in my life as I was when I left my ex-husband. Understandable. And I had and 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 I had every right to be because um, Absolutely. there were two times the most dangerous times for a victim when she's in an abusive relationship is when she leaves her partner or when she's pregnant because the abuser perceives he is losing control and then loses it himself and and tries to regain control and steps up the violence, which happened in, in, in my case and many others that we hear about in the news. But it was those to the attorney and the therapist who really gave me the strength to keep moving along my path and and not going back. Well, thank God for these two professionals. Um, Let me ask you something. Um, What percentage of women at one time or another are are subject to this type of domestic abuse? 
the latest study, which was put out in about, about two and a half years ago, uh, shows that 25 to 44% of all women will be or are currently in a domestic violent relationship. That's a huge amount of the population. That is an absolutely staggering statistic and mind-blowing in terms of the lack of um, awareness of us all about that. I mean, you know, that's a huge national problem. And from what I understand, it's not just a personal problem. It becomes uh, an employer's problem. It becomes a medical problem. It becomes a national problem. And if you could elaborate on some of the ramifications of this, of this horrible abuse. So that our listeners understand that it's this is not a this is not a personal thing. This is not an isolated thing that happens to maybe five percent of the population. Yeah, exactly. It, it domestic violence is a huge public health and public safety issue. Let's talk about the public health issue first. Okay. Women and their children who are in domestic violent relationships incur higher medical care costs. And not only do they incur these higher medical care costs while they're in this relationship, but even once they leave that relationship, those medical care costs are higher than someone who's not been in an abusive relationship by about 20% higher for three years following. Are there any... Are there any statistics you could cite financially as to the the actual cost that this translates into? Because I mean, it's it's you know just so people could put a number attached to it. Okay, the number is about eight billion dollars a year annually. Now That's that eight billion dollars, and now remember at the beginning of our conversation we were talking about how this is the most underreported crime. Right. It would be. I I believe that that $8 billion a year annually is underreported also, primarily because many women don't report. So that number has got to be much, much higher. Right, and the the long-lasting effects on children, you know, in terms of their emotional and physical health, are almost incalculable. For little boys, they have shown... That little boys who live in relation live in domestic violence families tend to grow up to be abusers themselves. So the cycle continues; it doesn't break. And for little right. girls, many little girls now they're finding that uh, in young teenagers who are again in families that where violence is rampant tend to be obese. And we know what obesity does to people. We know the illnesses and the pro- the medical issues you have if you're you become obese. So, and those uh, and are only a couple of the things. Right. I uh, mean some of the other effects must be anxiety, hypertension, all kinds of nervous conditions that result from being either the actual victim of domestic abuse or in the family of uh, domestic abuse, be it their children or anyone who's living there, um, must suffer from these, these ailments. And, and it's not only the emotional uh, um, disorders, but disorders like arthritis, Something you don't even think about, but women who have been in abusive physical relationships 
suffer a higher propensity of having arthritis. That's unbelievable. Uh, migraine, migraine headaches. So it's not just the conditions you normally would think about if someone has been, excuse the term, beaten up right. physically. Right. But it's well, all of the after effects that right. happen with and, that. And, and those after effects are emotional, physical, and spiritual. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All three. All Absolutely. Three. And uh, Absolutely. so it's it's just, uh, you know, that's I'm, I'm so pleased to have you on tonight because so, uh, these statistics and just some of these basic facts really should motivate people to be on the lookout for these type of situations and to be supportive of friends who are grow, going through these situations in an attempt to get them out of those situations. Yeah. And the best way to support someone is to be there, to be a listener, uh, to guide them. When when they are ready to leave, you'll know. They'll reach out for help. And it is at that right. moment that you could be, as a friend, of the most help. And the best advice you can give anyone you may know going through this is to call the National uh, domestic violence hotline. And the right. reason I say call those folks is because there are trained counselors at the other end of that line who can guide the person and provide them with life-saving information about what they need to do and to keep them safe. Nancy, tell us a little about the business of me. The business of me is a life sufficiency skills program I wrote for uh survivors of domestic violence and for even and, and for those considering leaving a domestic violence situation. And the program was built on two two principles. Uh there was a lot of research done by an anthropologist named Dr. David Levinson. He was formerly of Yale, and he studied what was known as wife battering. And right. he studied over 120 societies. And in societies where women had economic independence and a strong network of women around them, incidences of wife battering were practically non-existent. Now, which societies he, would those be? I'm curious myself. What societies he in this studied, world? Oh, my God. He studied 120 societies. Uh, oh, you mean specifically which societies? Yeah, Quite honestly, yeah, well, I, I don't have the answer, but I can certainly get it at another time. I just do right. know that there were a number of societies around the world where women had that had economic independence and support of other women, and, and uh, the incidences of white battering were practically non-existent. Right. Those are the two principles that the business of me is built on. The business of me also recognizes that many of the women, like me, are were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress syndrome. So we begin the program with guided meditation, which has been found to help patients with post-traumatic stress syndrome manage their symptoms. Uh, we also work with our 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 participants in dealing with negative self talk dealing with fear how do you right. deal with fear how do you deal with negative self talk how to use positive affirmations what are positive affirmations how to look at your good we also then guide them into 
developing uh, and understanding financial literacy, from developing a budget to understanding insurance to understanding how to how to pay your bills. Many of many survivors have never paid a bill in their life, have never been given any guidance when it comes to financial literacy. So they are taught financial literacy because without it, that they will not be able to uh, maintain an independent life. We also teach them, we also talk to them about the life you envision. So there is a visioning process through this. Mm -hmm. Not only do we write our vision down, but we develop it in a collage. And in that collage, we ask that they include an aspiration, something they always wanted to do but felt that they weren't able to do it. And when we get towards the end of our weekly sessions, there are six weekly sessions, each of them presents the collage to the group, and they talk about their aspiration. And then our moderator guides them into developing a personal SWOT analysis, SWOT meaning strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we give them actual tools to be able to take that aspiration and make it a reality by utilizing a SWOT analysis. What are some of the tools that you uh, you use to help those SWOTs become a, a reality? The biggest tool we have is right now, Technology, social media, is used to intimidate and instill fear in this population of people. The business Could you elaborate on has, that? I don't, I, I don't really follow that thought. Okay. You have a cell phone. Cell phone's got a GPS on it. Guess who can follow you around and know exactly where you are? Your abuser. You have a I cell see. phone. Someone could text and message you all day long and intimidate you. Someone can I intimidate see. you on your Facebook page. Those things instill fear and intimidate uh, victims of abuse. So in order to use technology, because I have a huge technological background, I have designed my own back end, my own social networking platform that only our participants can join. So what comes of that is a community of survivors, one helping the other continually move their vision forward. So, so well after a, our... Go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. It's... It becomes a community of women who help each other stay out of these relationships. I have I so basically it's it's an is it an online support system? Something yes, like it is. That? Okay, it's absolutely. I have an it's, sure, yeah. go ahead. I have an interesting question for you. Are men ever the victims of domestic abuse? Yes, they are, and since. My program, my program comes in two versions. There is a train-the-trainer model, which is a face-to-face model, and then there is an online live webinar. Mm-hmm. Uh, are men victims of abuse? Absolutely. Uh, the greater number of abuse victims are women. Of course. Uh, but 
especially on the webinar version, it is completely anonymous. I don't need to know your name. You, it is written as, a, as an employee assistance program, so I work with employers across the country. Uh, and once they install it for their employees, the employee just has to log on via the private logon that I have for their company, and I don't even need to know their name. I don't care about their sex. I don't care about any of that. You're a participant in the program. You're there because you want to get out of this relationship and stay out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, on the web program, the web, it's a webinar, um, is, uh-huh. this a six week, is that a six-week program, too, or is that modified to suit the, you know, the employer's needs, you know, et cetera? How does that work? It's a six-week program, and many employers like that, that it's a webinar, because a lot of employee training now is done via uh, the webinars and online in their own organization. So this fits in rather nicely. Right, and after the six weeks, is there some type of built-in support network? They become part of the community, and they could continually be monitored and ask Absolutely. questions. And, oh, that's wonderful. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Absolutely. And how do people, they, how do people find out more can, about this if they're interested in participating in this? Go to your website, The Business of Me? They can go to my website, or and which is www.thebusinessofmealloneword.com, or they can reach me directly at nancy at thebusinessofme.com. Right, because I think that's something that a lot of our listeners may be interested in, so it's really important to note that. And by the way, in the episode description, both both websites, Nancy's story and the business of me is listed for anyone who hasn't been able to take down this information. So uh, I think that's really, really important work. And how long has the business of me been in operation? The business of me has been in operation since 2003, um, and it and, has and evolved and grown you, into what we talked about. Oh, right! How many people do you think you've helped during this? Unbelievable. Well, I know currently that one shelter that I originally uh, brought it to in 2003 is still using it, and I know they've had thousands of women go through that program. Uh, so uh, hopefully it's it's continues to help people, and it was expanded to uh, work with employers because employers, uh, it, domestic abuse hits their bottom line. That $8 billion number we talked about, most of it is right. borne by employers in lost right. productivity, absenteeism, liability, uh, increased medical care costs, all of those things that we talked about. Uh, the employer pays a price. Of course. Of course. So it's not only benefiting the lives of the participants, but there's a real economic incentive for the employer to, to have this uh, available as as some type of uh, therapy or help to their employees. Yeah. It is, and it's actually, if society even looks at it, there are women out there who aren't working for uh, an employer, and and maybe some of them aren't insured. Maybe they're, they can't afford health insurance. 
who's paying for it every time they go to the emergency room? And I'm not right. saying I, I, I'm not saying I believe everyone is entitled to health insurance, but that's a totally different conversation. But what of I'm course. saying is so society society is paying a price for this. So if anyone wants to think, continue to think that this is just a private family affair, no, it's not. It affects you too. Yeah, I think if there's anything that uh, that I've learned, and hopefully some of the listeners too, it's mm-hmm. that this is a huge national problem that basically affects mm-hmm. everyone. Simil- similar in scope to alcoholism, I would I would say. It, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a disease, and and right. similar to alcoholism, it it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't care what your right. political affiliation is. It doesn't care, you know, what uh, race you are or religion. It doesn't care. It affects everyone. I Absolutely. was a VP on Wall Street. It happened right. to me. Right. Nancy, I'm afraid that we're running out of time. We have approximately 30 seconds left. Is there anything you want to advise our listeners to be on the lookout for or to be watchful of in this process? If someone comes into your life, and I say this to a lot of young women because I was young, someone comes into your life and he wants to know where you are all the time, he wants to tell you how to dress, and you think how cool this is. He wants to spend all his time with me, and he cares for me so much he's telling me what to do. Watch out. out. Okay, Uh, Nancy, on that note, we're going to have to leave Nancy Salomon, uh, author of the book Victory Over Violence, the website Nancy's Story, and the business of me. Nancy, thank you so much for being on Monetary Life. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Good night, everybody.